nobody thinks about you as much as you think about yourself. And the bastard comes back at me saying, I don't know any JK Molino. So I think Grok is going to be really helpful specifically for creators because you're always starting 20 to 30% ahead of zero. I mean, I'm not a fan of the insist, but I am a fan of people going over the deep, gritty, dark stuff. Nobody knows shit, bro. So just, just do it. Hey, good friends to the Likes and Cash podcast. Today, Marcos has done a public service to everyone. So real quick, if your girlfriend is watching, please take her away. Marcos, you may come into the frame now because he just got a haircut. There you go. Look at that. <laughs> Let's go. I asked, I asked Julia, you, you told me at the last second. So as I was walking back, I called her up and I asked her what you told me to ask. Yes. So I asked Marcos, ask your girlfriend if money changed you. All right. So she gave me, of course, she gave me the most detailed answer, but she said, basically I was always generous. So that hasn't changed. She said, I'm definitely more confident which is interesting. And she actually, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot, but I feel more scarce now than I was when I was broke. And I think I know why. I think I know why money made me more scarce. And it's because one, I have something to lose. So before I had nothing to lose. So I'm like, what am I going to be scarce about? I was never a scarce person when I had nothing to lose. Cause I'm like, you really can't go past zero unless you go into like massive amounts of debt, <laughs> which I'm not that dumb. So that's it, part of it. Number two, I thought, I think now I know more of what's possible. So it feels realer to hit higher numbers. So I feel more scarce because I'm like, damn, like there's so, there's so many places I can go. So I think before like the end all be all, you know, 10K a month, it's like when you get there, you think that it's not over. Like when you get to 10, you want 20. When you get to 20, you want 50. So I think as I went higher, I've won, I know what's possible. So it's made me more scarce, which is interesting. There you go. Well, so what's the answer? Yes or no? Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> great, great. But you did it in a positive way, which is yeah. which is a good thing. Yeah. That's a good exercise we've been doing. This is a, a we've been talking about this for three podcasts already. Like I asked my family if money changed me, they said yes. Eddie, what did Eddie say? Did Eddie say yes or no? I don't think so. I don't remember. I think he said no, right? But you, you said yes. So uh yeah, as your as your family or friends if money changed you, it's a it's a good perspective to have. Well, I want to tell, I want to start with this story that my friend told me. So I'm here in Poland with Sebas. He told me the most wholesome and greatest story ever. So he told me the story of how his grandparents fell in love. One time they both went, this is, this is 60s, whatever. Anyway, this grandparents went to this water park. They didn't know each other. And there the grandpa sees the grandma and he's like, this is it, right? He goes and talks to her. And they have a really good conversation. And the grandma's like, because they didn't have phones or whatever. She takes out a piece of paper and writes down, this is my address in the city. Please, you can come in every third Sunday of every month. As long as it's after 4 p.m. It gives him the paper just like that. The guy takes it and he misses it. Like he, he lost the address. It's like, oh, fuck, like I can find the address. But I was surprised at how simple things used to be. And then... The girl uh, is like baffled, right? Like, why didn't this dude come? So she moves to the water park and asks around. Turns out somebody knew the guy, told them, bro, get a hint. This is the real address. He goes on the third Sunday of the next month after 4 p.m. on a Sunday. And uh, they fell in love and they get married just like that. You know how we are like, let me throw an Instagram story to see if there's a reaction. Let me see if she saw my, oh, my text or whatever. Things used to be so much simpler 
before. And it reminded me of the best client interactions. Sebas used to be my setter and he said, bro, you know what about your best clients? One thing, you never forced anything. You didn't have to follow up. You didn't have to do all the little salesy things. They just said, cool, I'm in. Or they said, not right now, but maybe in December. And they joined in December. So it's just a story that I remember now where things are hard and I feel like I'm forcing too many things. There's always going to be an interaction that feels as effortless and as nice as Sebastian's grandparents. Nice. How's it been since you've transitioned to the like uh, more of your lifestyle business? How's that been? Because I know it's been like uh, at least a month now. Yeah, it's been like two months. And honestly, I'm done at 2 p.m. and I'm so bored. Like, so does it look so poor? I don't know what to do. So I asked around. I asked Ryan, what do I do? He's like, bro, have kids. I'm like, yeah, let me not ask you this question again. Let me ask somebody else. Not for now. Like, I'm going to not do that now. But then I asked Dan. I had this podcast with Dan. And I asked him the same question. By the way, Dan's an INFJ. So it's basically you, but he uses more spreadsheets. And he was like, <laughs> and notion, doing notion words. <laughs> I asked him, Dan, what is a coism that you could give? So you know how there's navalisms, as in do work that feels like play? I asked him, what is your coism? He said, oh, I got one. He said, if you don't pick a struggle, you will be assigned one. So he said, don't chill out, find something to do. So right now I'm kind of looking into, into what to do next now that I have a lot of time and I don't, I'm really bored. So this podcast is part of it. You can write your, you should write your autobiography at 22. <laughs> bro, 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 I'm 23. Excuse oh, shit. Me. My bad, my bad. That was disrespect. Anyway, okay. Uh, I got a few things here that I want to talk about. Do you have something you want to talk about? No, I'm going off your list today. All right, cool. I'm driving. Something that I enjoyed a lot is when people who are successful give you opposite advice. Two people that ran with the opposite playbook and they both worked. And it happened with the Welsh and Co. workshops. So I asked Justin, if you were to start again, would you still monetize? Would you monetize on day one? Now, Justin, he makes like 3 million profit a year, half a million follower audience. He's, he makes money. And he said, probably not. I'd wait and build an audience and then launch something. And then I interviewed Dan, who makes 300K a month, or at least that's what he's been doing this year, and spends like 20K a month on software development. And he just lives a really dope life. I asked him the same question. Would you still monetize day one? And he said course like yes that's exactly what i would do and personally my opinion is you should monetize day one as well so it was just a, a fun thing to see two people who are really successful have opposite takes and it reminds me that nobody knows shit bro so just just do it what do you think should you monetize day one i think we should monetize day one and i, I think it's important to, i i don't i not only think you should monetize day one i think as long I this, as much as this is very much a both playbooks worked, this is my like. I think you need to monetize day one for ninety nine percent of people. I think for the one percent, it's like if you are a stone cold like one of the top one percent creators, that's a little bit different. But I think for the general public, you should monetize day one for a few reasons. I think one, monetizing day one kind of gives you you kind of snowball the social proof while you're creating that content, and you get a way faster feedback loop when you actually have clients that can give you information. Like for you, for example. I feel like you wouldn't have had as good of content if you didn't have all these clients telling you feedback all the time. So I think that's part of it. I also think as you grow your income, you grow your authority. And as you grow your authority, you can grow your lifestyle. And as you grow your lifestyle, you can have better content. And it's just like an infinite flywheel. 
But I think if you just focus on the content and you're kind of still stuck with the same income for like six to 12 months, your content's not going to get that much better. Like you're getting a little bit better at writing. What are you going to write about? You don't have any money. You don't have anything to write about unless you're like doing guitar or something like that. Like for the most part, you need stuff to write about. And most of that comes from being successful. So if you can't make money, you're not going to be successful. If you're not going to be successful, you have nothing worth saying and so on. So I think to build that flywheel, you should monetize from day one. To push back a little bit on that idea, I want to reframe the successful bit because I find that that can bring a lot of pressure to people who are listening to it because not even successful people think they're successful or they're think they're themselves as successful. And some days people who think they're not, they actually are. Because if you look at it like a like a chain, we are a link in the chain. There's always going to be people ahead and behind us. I feel like it's not that you need greater success. I believe you just need greater memory to recall the things you have done in the past. And if it's like it really nothing, then yeah, probably do something. But you haven't spent one dollar in ads and doing your thing. You haven't done one slightly good thing for your clients. You could spin that up. I'm not against posting before you're successful. I am against posting things you haven't done. And they could be small. I think it's much easier to stay consistent with the content if you're actually making money. Like how many people have you seen grow to five, seven, eight K followers and then they just stop because they weren't making any money. They needed to go find a way to make money or they just lost motivation. Like go try making a content for one to two years without monetizing is so much harder than making content for one to two years while monetizing. It's it's very much an easier said than done. Like I've never met anyone who's just like, whoop de doo, great content for fun for two years and not make any money. <laughs> like Yeah. Have you? Not. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like the equivalent of the guy that's always trying to hit up this girl and the girl won't let him let him smash. It's like, no, but we're friends. I love it. And deep yeah. down, he's crying. Like, he's yeah. just desperate. <laughs> exactly. Like investing years into a, into a friend zone. Really, it's just like, it's very unrealistic for most people. I think there is that like top 1% like YouTuber, like Mr. Beast, who's like, I made YouTube videos for five years, not making any money. Well, like, so we're not there anymore. You just can't, it's not going to happen. So I think it's a yeah. little bit, I think it's just a different landscape. That's uh, another point of, I believe a lot in learning kind of mindset from people really ahead of you, 10 steps ahead of you take billionaires. But I'm big on learning steps and tactics from people one to two steps ahead of you. So if you're a millionaire from a decamillionaire, if you $100,000 from someone making half a mil, because they know the path that the people way ahead of you forgot. So I actually take advice from kind of both kinds, people who are one or two steps ahead of me and people who are widely ahead of me. And it's interesting to see how those two things apply. So I was listening to the Elon pod today and I was listening to um, to my mentors uh, kind of courses today and both really gave me some really good perspectives. I agree on that totally. Like I'd rather have, I always want my mentor to be like kind of doing what I'm doing just a little bit better and a few steps ahead. And then I'll learn like my general mindset and business principles from either autobiographies, podcasts, or if I'm like, like the, the, the videos from the billionaires, like I love hearing Mr. Beast say, you know, do something for 10 years. Well, like it's great, but how's that going to make me make an extra 10K next month? Like, you know what I mean? So you need to have, I think you're, I think you're spot on. Like I definitely like both. Did Elon grow up rich? So that's actually a misconception. People thought he grew up rich because of his dad, but what had happened was, and I don't want to butcher it, but his, his dad essentially was like a co-owned this emerald mine. Basically Elon got sent to America 
didn't have any money and kind of started from zero, but his dad did have some money, but he wasn't really as rich as people thought. And he also hates his dad and thinks he's a demon. And the dad is actually like really weird, like an incest, like all sorts of creepy stuff if you read the biography. So in short, no, which is a misconception. He's, he did bootstrap. It's yeah. not like Donald Trump, like a small loan of a million dollars. I mean, I'm not a fan of the incest, but I am a fan of people going over the deep, gritty, dark stuff. I think that oh. gives biography depth. You're all, you're reading the biography right now? No. Ugh. You'll like you'll like so, it if you like the deep, dark stuff. It's really dark. It's really dark. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So you could do that from 2 p.m. onwards when you have nothing better to do. <laughs> this guy's old and retired. They actually did that today. I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast with Elon. And you can learn a lot about these things. These people, not about only what they say, but how do they do everyday thing? I'll give you an example. Rogan was talking about an atrocity, which is pizza with double pineapple and double anchovies. You believe this, right? Cancel. And and he was telling Elon about it. And while they were talking about it, like, if I were there talking to Joe, I'd be like, oh, well, that's gross, but cool. Next topic. Elon said, you know what? Let's order some right now. It's 11 p.m., but let's order some right now. You can learn a lot about how these guys act in everyday basis. Yeah, I thought so, too. He actually did touch on it in the pod about, like, the dark childhood. He was like, I used to get beat up in school, like, punched in the face. He basically grew up in, like, a like a really weird South African private school where it was, or public school that was, like, super brutal. That podcast was great. Well, I have one hour to go. But um, let's make this podcast great. <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay. Um, I want to talk blurry line. So blurry lines between service and um, and what you do. I find that boundaries are helpful in theory, but blurry lines are helpful in practice. I'll give you an example. Often I will get asked the question, and the board, like the boundary there is, I want to help them do the thing because maybe it's not a done for you service, so it's not in the definition of the service that they purchased. But I find that. That line is okay to blur if you're kind of in a season of like, this just has to happen and I really want to get good results for them. So it's okay to maybe maybe go a little bit, like step a little bit over your own badger and be like, okay, whatever, you know, if this is needed, let's just hop on a call and sort it out. And this happened this week when I opened up Likes and Cash. So now I'm a big fan of capping spots. We filled it out nine spots in three days out of 10. So I was really pumped about that. But I also got kind of scared because... It's the first time we have awarded nine clients in a week. So I'm thinking, like, I want to give these guys good treatment. I want to make sure that they get good stuff. And I only take calls on Mondays. But this week, I thought, like, I really want to make sure they get something right. So I sent all of them my Calendly and be like, book a call, one-on-one. And I just want to make sure you guys are on the right track. Because frankly, I got scared because I've never had that much value. So if right now, maybe you are in a situation with... Like maybe your clients, you really want to make sure they get good results or maybe they're not getting as good results as they could. It's okay to blur the line between that done for you and done with you line and just, you know, roll your sleeves and get to work with them. It's not, you don't have to be that rigid. You can do whatever the business needs you to do at that point in time. I feel you so well. I just had the exact same moment. We had the, basically we're onboarding like four clients in, in less than two weeks, which is for me, that's the most ever in such a short amount of time. Four clients and four clients in ten days, and I was just like, "Fuck!" Like I'm gonna go be my. I had to like. I'm trying to like be my own assistant, and like, what are the things I need to do right now? And just like doing opening spreadsheets and doing all sorts of shit that I've like typically passed on. But 
I totally feel that. And I think also, especially like it's just taking responsibility for your own product. You know what I mean? At a certain point. Yeah. It's not taking yourself too seriously and just doing the work that needs, needs to be done. Yeah. Like we're not, like I'm not Jeff Bezos. Like, but at the end of the day, it's still our business. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and sometimes it gets to our head. Like, bro, get over yourself. Like, it's okay yeah. if you sleep seven and a half hours and not eight. It's okay if there's no almond milk or whatever. Like, just, just yeah, shut up, pull up the Google Doc. Shut up, pull up the Google Doc and write some fucking tweets. <laughs> like, shut up. Yeah. What's um, what's an maybe a story you have that you just were like, okay, right now it's a no distraction day or week or month, and you just went really hard on the things that needed to be done at that time. Uh, do you have an example of that or a story of that? Yeah, I'd say like the last three weeks has been probably like very pressing for me just because I moved from Bali to New Hampshire to Miami. I had a wedding while onboarding four clients. Like it's been hardcore. So I'm just like, I every spare minute I've had is just like open the laptop and do stuff. Like if you have a spare minute, open the laptop and do stuff is what I've been trying to do. Um, and I think everyone has a point in their business where it's just so pressing and you're like, I guess I just need to like shut the fuck up and like work. <laughs> just like, it's kind of like when you first start, like when you have to get really gritty when you first start, I feel like that's kind of a, a moment I had is just having no time and just having to like put the grid on specifically like the four clients we had also needed setters. And I'm like, fuck <laughs> now is like onboard four clients, but also onboard and hire four setters and train four of them while also helping my writers. I'm just like, it was a lot. Um, so you have, you write mostly for coaching business, expert business. Yes. Yes. Can you, can you walk me through what kind of funnel you have in place for them? Yeah. So typically what we'll do is we'll, obviously the ghostwriting is kind of top of funnel is we'll, you know, write, we'll do a competitor analysis and we'll do an onboarding. Our onboarding is like a really long, like two hour process. Basically we have to do a thing to where we can kind of actually write for them. Then we put out the content, which is uh, top of funnel is threads, auto DMs, tweets, videos, anything like that. Nowadays, you can actually go pretty deep with, with X is like you can go. There's so many types of tweets now since it's really like everything. I mean, you can do spaces, you can do questions, you can do memes, you can repurpose videos. So we'll do that for the top of funnel. And then we'll have calls, some call to actions and, and hand raisers, stuff that I learned in like St. Cash, some call to actions and hand raisers for inbound DMs. Um, and then also we have outbound the same way that you taught me how to do it pretty much. And then book calls have either, they are cl either founder closers. We're trying to onboard more people who actually have sales teams now, um, just cause it's hard to work like just with a founder. We're very much on the side of building sales teams on top of doing the content. Um, but book calls, Is closer. the sales team equal setter and closer? Setters and closers and sometimes triage phone setters. Um, like if there's a really high volume, you'll have a triage phone setter. I haven't gotten to the point where we have to do like outbound phone dialing and stuff, but I imagine that's going to be next in the pipe, especially if we start doing like Twitter ads or X ads. Yeah. I, I, I'm just going to call it Twitter, man. Yeah, me too. Me, me too. It's also, it, it, have you ever tried typing someone at, like putting X while you're, it doesn't flow into a text message, right? Like, like you see my new ad, like post on X, like it doesn't sound the same. Just like check out that tweet is so much different. Yeah. It's. I don't like it. And like, for example, when I write, I try not to get interrupted. I don't go back and edit. I try to let it flow. But often when I don't know what to put in a example, I will put, I do X and then I do Y. And then I'm like, it, 
it throws me off sometimes. Kind of like, no, it's not the social media. It's in there. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's something you put in. Yeah. Something something that just came out on X, they just released it uh, today. That, well, they released the application for early access, but they're about to come out with Grok, which is the new XAI version of the like, chat GPT. It's called called Grok or Grok. I don't know how to say it. Can, can you walk us through that? I don't know what that is. So it's like, it's basically X's version of ChatGPT, but the, the way that they're training it, so the way that they train ChatGPT is they took like all the data off the internet, basically. You just scraped all the data off the internet. XAI is scraping the like trillions of tweets and using that data. So it's going to be probably much better at conversation. So I'd be interested to see like, I don't know if you used, I start, I actually think there's a lot of use for ChatGPT. I think this will be interesting, especially for creator businesses and expert businesses like us is using this Grok AI conversationally, maybe turning it into chatbots. And because you got to think if you can process tweets, can you not process your own tweets and then make it much more specific to you than you would if it was just a chat GPT? So I think it's going to be really, really helpful for at least our clients. Um, but also like if you want to create and you want to create based off your tweets instead of just like chat GPT, it's like, I don't know if you've ever tried making it. You can make it sound like people. I think Grok's going to be much better for creators who use Twitter already because there's so much text, especially if you have you like 100,000 tweets or something. Like it's going to have so much data to sound like you. I think it's going to be really viable for creating. Good. I could finally have my comeback on ChatGPT because one time I went to ChatGPT and I asked, please write me 10 tweets like J.K. Molina would write. And the bastard comes back at me saying, I don't know any J.K. Molina. What are you talking about? So ever yeah. since then, I had a You're baby. a nobody. You're a nobody. <laughs> I don't know. They'll know my name. I will show you how great I am. Two questions on this. One, what's a use case you see for uh, experts, creators, coaches for Grok? And two is, what are some use cases that you currently... Can you said ChatGPT is useful. What are some current use cases you use in ChatGPT when it comes to your writing? I, one thing I love about ChatGPT is making content expanded on content that you already know. So like, I think I did this, I did this uh, webinar for, uh, we call it a webinar masterclass for like St. Cash way back when. But like, right, if you're a fitness coach and you use ChatGPT and you need to make workout plans and workout style threads or any threads for diets, you can, the ChatGPT is able to generate like listicles so much faster than any human can. And it makes the actual creative process. It's like Nick Verge said this really well. It's kind of like instead of starting at zero, you're always starting 20 or 30% done. You start everything 20 to 30% done instead of having to start from zero when you're doing content. So anything that's related to listicles, anything that's research related, like if I want to go and write a thread about the Twitter use case for info businesses, I can go and put that in ChatGPT. They're going to give me like 20 to 30 key topics that I can hit on. And I can quickly just pick five instead of sitting there trying from scratch to pick five or six. So that has been really helpful because you're always starting 20 to 30% ahead of zero, which is honestly the hardest part. For, sometimes zero to 30 is harder than 30 to 100, which is a parallel to, I, I just got a Tesla. Me and Julia just got a Tesla. And something that they talk about on the podcast is it actually takes just as long to charge zero to 80 as it does 80 to 100 something technical there. I don't I don't know why, but it's the same thing with, yeah. with writing. Sometimes zero to 30 takes longer than 30. To, like once you get the idea and the basic frame of a tweet, you can probably fill it in really fast. So it's kind of like that analogy. Can I move on or do you have a question on that? You bought a Tesla at a condo in Miami, bro. You're the definition of the American dream. Least, least, least. Relax, relax. <laughs> oh, okay. So, well, and we're sharing, we're sharing a car. We're not that cool. 
Um, well, you actually like, I don't like driving in the city at all. I love walking and Miami is walkable, at least in the winter. I'll, I'll get back to you in the summer. Yeah. But for Grok, for example, kind of what I mentioned before, same thing, but now imagine you can now process your own tweets and kind of build your own personal profile. So it's now custom to you. Like it would, what if it knew your likes and dislikes already? What if it knew that you as a fitness coach don't like squats? So it will never recommend squats. What if it knows that you, JK, already know that you that it has the frame of reference that you like to monetize right away? So it'll never tell you, oh, I don't think you, you could just create for a year or two years, right? Like imagine it's catered to you. Like that is where I see Grok because it's able to now take all of your tweets and all of your thoughts and kind of create a profile. So I think Grok is going to be really helpful specifically for creators more than ChatGPT. I think ChatGPT is more general. This is cool. When these new events happen... Do you just say, okay, Sunday is Grok research day. You just go all in and research this kind of stuff. Yeah, I do a couple, like I'll usually do it myself, but I'll also kind of lease it out to my team and be like, use this. And I'm always pushing for new tech. I'll be like, use this and let me know what kind of tactics you find out. And then I'll have them maybe record a video or two for me and then be able to use theirs as well as mine. It's kind of 3Xing the process of learning which has been really helpful because we're always just trying to use tools that make our lives easier anyway. So I did that. We'll do that with ChatGPT. We'll do that with Grok. We'll do that with anything. But I also try to get early to things like with Grok. And I guess we're spilling the beans here value, but with Grok, right, you can go apply for early access, right? So if I go apply for early access and my competition doesn't, I already have a few weeks ahead of the competition with Grok. I can get a few few weeks extra with it. So I, I usually try and get my foot in the door on things like that, kind of how I always say I apply to like, the Layla Q&As and all that stuff. It's the same deal. Did we talk about how you got that one on the pod, the Layla one? I'm not, I think we did, but if for those who aren't there, basically she puts out like Q&A applications. And I, I want to I wanna, I wanna start with the end. Marco shows up, I'm having a space with Layla Hervosi. Like, what the fuck? Like, what's it? <laughs> what the hell? How'd you do it? And then I texted him, how'd you do it? And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to tell this story in the pod. So that's, that, this is how this happened. Yeah, so... Layla does a lot of Q&As live on uh, YouTube and, and Twitter, and she decided to do one on LinkedIn. And I've applied to almost every single one. And I ask a similar question almost every single time, but I usually just ask a question that's relatable to me at the time. So with that specific uh, Q&A, she was trying to stay in the realm of hiring and operations. So I asked a hiring question. I say, how do you build, essentially, how do you build a friendly team and keep that friendly environment while also being KPI driven and, you know, keeping the respect and stuff like that. And she accepted my question. I went on, on stage on LinkedIn and I ended up playing it next to my phone so that it was a Twitter space at the same time, recorded that. Then she uploaded it to her YouTube and I had Quinn up or remove the video from her YouTube, lined it up with my audio and turn it into a YouTube video for my video as well on YouTube. And it actually did better than my story video with no, I did no marketing and it got almost a thousand views. I didn't even promote it. <laughs> Smart. I, that is some, a technique that you use there that I've seen you're really good at. And I've seen that's quite effective. It's the art of making other people look good. If you can make other people look good, they will gladly share your stuff. Or in this case, take you on the Q&A. An example of this is sometimes people will tag me on uh, on a thread of something they learn from a video. It doesn't happen often, but sometimes it does. And my thought process, as in do I want to share this or not, is quite selfishly, 
does this make me look good? So if someone writes a thread on what they learned, and in the end they said, if you want to learn more, here's my list, or you can follow me, I don't engage with it. Like it's lost. Like for me, it's like, I see what you were trying to do here and you were doing really well, but then I'm this is, I'm not going to share this. this. This is a promo to yourself. But the ones that I do share, the thought process that goes behind it is, are they making me look good or not? So I reshared one, reposted one, retweet. Okay. We call it retweet around. I retweeted one the other day of someone saying, these are the things we learned from the Danco Molina podcast and um, follow them. And then I'm like, sure, I will retweet. And he got some engagement from it. So the art of making other people look good is an underrated art that a lot of people, it's not that they don't want to do, it's that they don't have impulse control, so they don't, as in, I need to prolong myself. I need to do my thing. And because if you can resist that impulse control and wait a little bit, I think you would get shared by other creators. Wait. That's such good advice, and I've done that many times. And one of the examples is my most viral thread was essentially one year into business. It was like, oh, I hit zero to 60K a month in a year. Here are the nine threads that I bookmarked along the way. Essentially, this is, these are the nine people who taught me. And I shouted out all the people who taught me, including like Cody Sanchez, Justin Welsh. And I ended up shouting those people out. And not all of them responded, but some of them responded. Some of them liked it. Some of them retweeted. And it was, it was kind of just a nice way to get I didn't do it for the engagement, but it was a nice way to shout all these people out. I'm essentially putting them in the authority. I'm taking a backseat for this thread. I'm not saying, hey, look at me. I'm saying, look at these people, spotlighting all these big creators. I ended up getting a ton of followers from it because I kind of built my authority in the hook, but I also gave them the authority and was like, follow these people for this, 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 this. So I thought that was a good way of making them look good while also still maintaining authority because I think some people are afraid to put other people on the pedestal and then knock themselves down in authority. But I think there's a way to do it where you keep the authority still. Yeah. How do you, I want you to get specific about this because I have that a lot. And in the middle of the year, someone sent me an email that really hurt. And at the beginning, I thought, ah, fuck this guy. But then I thought, man, this guy, he just spit some facts on me. Like, I feel naked right now. The email was, I try to, mistakenly, it was a mistake. I try to push him into a sale and I shouldn't have. And I assume things about him that I shouldn't have. And he sent me back this email saying, JK, I know, like, why are you assuming so many things about me? I know that you were hurt and you see the world in quite a negative way. And I read that and I thought, of course, I'm perfect, right? And the more I let it sit, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. So I maybe am sometimes in that position in which I can feel like lifting someone else or giving someone else praise kind of undermine me. For you, if you ever get that feeling, how do you not have it? Or what's a reframe that you have that might help people in that same situation overcome it? Well, here's, I think there's a couple ways. I think one way to do it is you can kind of make it very clear that the person you're lifting up is in a specific category that you're not. Like, I would never try to lift up my number one direct competitor. Like, that's just bad business. I think you can lift up people who are either adjacent or in similar niches that may be in a different in a different sense, right? Like for example, I can tweet, you know, JK is, you know, the best the best coach to help as expert businesses go from 0 to 50k a month in one person businesses or go to 1 million a year as a one person business. That's a you see how I I don't help one person businesses anyways, even though we have similar target markets and I can still do that. 
because I'm not a coach either. Like I'm not a coach. I don't help people that do really one person businesses. So there's, I could still lift you up in that sense. Another example I can mention, for example, like Jeremy Haynes, right? He has a 600K a month or 500K a month agency. It does like ads. It's like an advertising agency. I can say like, this is the GOAT marketing agency like right now, one of the best marketing agencies in the game. Me saying he's one of the best marketing agencies doesn't bring me down as a marketing agency, right? It's people kind of don't mind if you are still real. So I think there's a little bit of nuance in play. Like there's not a direct a direct way each time. You kind of have to have a little bit of nuance. That being said, I personally wouldn't just go and lift up my direct competitor and be like, go follow him. He's the best. Like I'm, if I think I'm the best, you know what I mean? So you got to have a little bit of nuance. And I actually used to be different. I used to think like, I can just lift everybody up. I kind of, I ditched that. I think, uh, I think if it's a direct competitor, be smart. This is business. You're doing a disservice to your company and your, your employees. If you're just lifting up your direct competitor, right? You aren't going to see Nike be like, go buy Adidas. <laughs> like it would never happen. So, uh, right. I think that's the nuance. Have you ever seen the, I think it's Dungeons and Dragons or World of Warcraft. I don't know. The moral alignment chart. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. So it's a chart in which it, it categorizes you in evil, neutral, and good, but also between lawful, true, and chaotic. Have you ever seen this? So it's chaotic good, chaotic evil, true neutral, neutral good. Have you ever seen this? No, I haven't. Okay, well, um, what's interesting about this is I find that this is made up, right? It's from a game, but it's a model that actually helped me a lot. So I might see people and they're like, this guy's not that he's not a bad person. He's just chaotic. Is a chaotic good, or it's not that this guy is an NPC. He just doesn't care. He's just, he's just a neutral. So I feel that you, you're, you're a good. Yeah, I think you're, like, you're, you're true good, as in like, you're a neutral good person, right? So the praise comes in naturally to you, and this is why people feel it. I don't know why this happens, but the state I'm in affects my writing a lot, even though, and the results of my writing a lot, even though I am writing the same words. So if I'm feeling needy when I write something, it could be the same thing that I wrote while I wasn't, but it just it just feels different. People can feel you through your stuff. So I feel that in order to use the advice you just gave people, they actually have to feel some sort of admiration for those kind of people. They actually need to feel like these guys are really good and try to give them praise. You can't you can't cheat you can't cheat vibes in a way. So I'm more of a I'm more of a neutral like I'm, I'm not a bad person, but like I don't care about society, right? <laughs> so it's like I'm more of a neutral person. People can, I attract more people like that. I don't know where this went, but it's kind of a segue I wanted to cover. If anybody's into this diagram, it's really useful. This is your new MBTI. <laughs> this is what happens <laughs> when you stop working at 2 p.m. <laughs> You're looking for more astrology. <laughs> Be right back. I'm gonna change my Twitter bio to philanthropist just to show everybody that I mean it. I started this bit and I thought it was going to be way more serious or it was going to be, I was going to be way more articulate at explaining it, but something is just set out bullshit and you expect people to help you. You ever seen the videos where it's like, whenever you're, when everyone has those kinds of bros and it's like, you could like pour your heart out and your bro's just like, dude, you're being, you suck, shut up. <laughs> like, dude, shut up. Like you think your bro's going to be there for you and he's just like, yeah, whenever, shut up. <laughs> Anyways, but, Anyways, let's go to the gym. <laughs> are you done? <laughs> yeah, are you done being a bitch? Let's move on now. Can we go eat now? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, bro. Anyways. 
<laughs> Next topic. Fuck you, Marcos. Next topic. I, I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask because um, this has come up, and I, you work with a lot of, of of experts in info businesses, and I feel like this is like a common theme among info. And I'm curious how you've dealt with it. Like, I feel as though every expert, like influencer, info business, education guru, whatever you want to call it, everyone goes through some sort of drama. Someone thinks they're a scam. Someone thinks they're this. Someone thinks they're not legit. Have you went through this? And like, have any of your clients went through this more? So I'm more interested. Have I, has anyone went through it and like been nervous about it? Because I think this is like a normal thing in the industry that's not talked about enough. It's like when you kind of are targeting normal people and you're the coach, you kind of get this where people are just so skeptical. Have you ever had to deal with this or any of your clients had to? And how did you talk them through it? Yes. And for this, I have a picture that I want to include. If anybody's in the YouTube, you really want to see this. Marcus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send it to you. Telegram. I'm glad you aren't just like, I'm glad you aren't just like, no, next. <laughs> no, you know, would have been a good comeback, but uh, I'm a good guy today. So check out this picture on Telegram I sent you. This is a picture of me doing my first back. <laughs> you can see it. You sure that's a back flip? Exactly. That's the point. Okay, anyway, this is my first back flip because some people were doing it at that place in Mexico and they looked so cool. It was so cool. And I thought I wanted to look cool. I was really scared when I thought I wanted to do it. And this was the result. So I find that you know, on like the 10th try, I had a decent backflip, but this was the first try. And I find that one of the things or beliefs that have served me the most is I'm often more willing to look like an idiot than other people. Just that's what I found with myself. And through doing those things that make me look like an idiot, like backflip, I find one really platitude that you've heard before, but also quite relevant truth, which is Nobody thinks about you as much as you think about yourself. So when this kind of things happen, somebody calls you a scam or somebody wants to call you out on the timeline, like if you did something wrong, like you know it. But if you don't, then a really good frame of reference for me or what I do is I just don't do anything because you got to understand that they do this to get a reaction from you. If you don't react, it goes away in like one or two days. You are the one that's thinking about this the most. Your audience probably doesn't care. Like they don't see 95% of the things you post often just because this is how social media works. And what I recommend to people when they're being called out or scammed or like being told they were scammers, is just be quiet. And 10 out of 10 times, they go away in like two days. Nothing happens. Literally nothing happens. It, you are the only one thinking about this. Yeah, and you think it's going to resurface and you think like everyone you talk to in the future is going to bring it up and then you realize like you're not as cool as you think. Like you're not Elon Musk. <laughs> you're not like talk of the, t you're not talk of the town. Like there's 8 billion people in this world and like 400 people saw that tweet. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's how I feel too. And I, I, do, I, do, I do like that. And Twitter makes you forget that because of how small the community can feel. Well, it's not that it's small. It's the frequency at which you see people. Dude, my For You tab on Twitter, you know, I love you, Marcus, but one time you posted, the For You tab is better than ever. I disagree. I think it's shit. Mine is complete garbage. Like, I only see drama, like, little petty fights, little petty, like, beef and, uh, like, inside jokes. And I hate it. It's horrible. But often, because I've only been consuming that, 
and I realize this is a mistake. I think that things are a bigger deal than they are, but not really. Like this is this is the problem, which is small, and this is your perception of the problem, which is humongous. And if you just literally turn the phone off, go outside, it doesn't exist. Yeah. There's a practical way to fix your for you page, by the way. Practical way to fix your for, for you page is two ways. One is go on your following tab and actually interact with the content you want to consume if you want to consume any content. That's one way. So like for me, if my if my for you page is like the war and then like meme videos and fight videos, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. what's going on? Sometimes you go down, the, this is what happens too. Sometimes you go down the rabbit hole, right? Like everyone, we're all human. Sometimes you watch a fight video and then you want to watch seven more fight videos. And then next thing you know, your whole For You page is fight video. You got to reset your For You page. Go back to your following tab, actually engage with things you want. And it'll typically help. Another thing I do is like, for example, right? I like Arsenal soccer team. If I want to watch, if I want to see that, or if I don't want to see that, I can go search them up and read some of their tweets. I'll search them up on the time and like look up Arsenal tweets and just consume it. And then my, my For You page will be all Arsenal. But if I need to reset it, I'll either look something up that I want to look up like AI or Elon Musk or something, or I'll go to the following tab and interact. So what, what happens is people go down rabbit holes of like, and everyone does it, right? You do it on TikTok specifically, but everyone does it. You go down a crazy rabbit hole, like something insane, but then your For You page is all jacked up. You have to reset it or else every time you log on and you're going to go back into a rabbit hole and you're going to keep going into the negativity. So if you see a one beef and then you don't reset it, you're going to see that beef tomorrow. And then you're going to see the beef tomorrow. And then you're gonna, you know what I mean? So you have to reset it because the For You page on, on, uh, Twitter is really fast. It's like so quick to change. Yeah. I want to transition to something that's similar, which is your, I nodded probably to it, but I'll give you a practical example of this. So I know this guy. He often says, and I don't like saying it because I don't just, you shouldn't say things that weaken you, but uh, I'll do it for the sake of the example. So he's always like, guys, I have limited energy. I'm low energy and just like, I can't work that many hours because I just get burned out and there's too much cognitive load. And because he thinks that, it happens. So then when he writes or when he reads stuff, that thought will happen in his head again and then it'll manifest into reality. He will actually not have energy and time or like attention to do those kind of things. And I find that the words you tell yourself matters and because it's kind of programming you as well as the content you consume, it's also programming. I find that consuming a lot of content isn't bad if it's like from people that you actually want your life. Like if you want their life, then yeah, probably like you should. But because it's all girls and cars and and like and booty pigs and, and bombs and fights, then it ends up being really detrimental for you. So it's not that consuming is bad. So this is why I'm really big on Twitter lists. I have this list. It's called Mindset. And it's only six people. And I removed a bunch of people. There were like 15 and now it's just six. And it's all porn stuff. Jujutsu Kaisen, which is my favorite anime stuff. Philosophy. And it's great. And I find that if I binge that kind of content, I'd turn out creating really good. But when I binge other stuff, can you share can you share that list to me it sounds like i would love it yeah one guy one guy's like super esoteric i don't know i don't know if you know this guy's land shark you know land shark no i don't yes so let me read you one of the land shark tweets today this was my favorite i hate it when me and a girl are flying in a hot air balloon having a picnic 
and my dastardly arch enemy this appears in his own balloon. So we have a duel shooting at each other with pistols, but he plays dirty and shoots the balloon, so we fall and crash into a barn and make love there. This is the kind of shit that he plays, and I love it. Like, it's so esoteric, and it's so enjoyable. So random. It's so much fun. This is a a private account, but I'll send it to you. And it kind of goes into another thing which you mentioned. Arsenal, I watch my anime stuff, I, I read this guy. You need to have interest, Eddie said. Interests aren't related to business. You sound like everyone else because you consume everyone else. If you pull out the 10 people you learn from, what is a chance that you won't, that it won't be replicated by your industry or like the same people that you compete with are not consuming the same? I find that you also have an unfair advantage because you generally pursue your own interests. Like I'm big into volleyball, fight, uh, this kind of anime, and that breeds ideas that I can use into my content. But if you consume the same content as everyone else, it's like you guys are all reading the same Bible, so you're going to follow the same principles, and this is when you become copy-pastable. And if you know anything about the Lights and Cash podcast, is we're not copy-pastable. We aim to be uncopy-pastable because that's how you make money. That's also how you network. Like, if you don't have any... Everyone on Money Twitter does business, but if you have nothing else in common, it's going to be so hard to network. It's like, if you actually post about the things that you do other than business, you'll actually have a way stronger network and you'll probably get leads from it too. As if, you're, if someone's between purchasing from you and someone else and you're the guy that also watches the Attack on Titan final season that came out yesterday, then you, they're probably going to buy from you because it's relatable. You didn't like it? It's like part, part five, dude. It's unnecessary. It was a good ending. It's over. Wait, is it done? It's done. Yeah, it's finally, it's, it's finally, finally over. I'm going to cry. Are you a manga guy or an anime guy? I'm, I'm an anime guy just because I don't like I don't like having anime spoiled for me by reading the manga. And you what? Or blah, blah, like, you said the Arsenal thing, and I'm like, hey, maybe he's got a chance. But now that he said that, I'm like, it's not, not going to make it. You know but, who's a big anime person? I don't know if do you know Tom Bilyeu? He's like a huge podcaster. Yeah, I know yeah, he, he he watches anime. I was like, I feel like there's not enough big business personalities that watch anime. So we're gonna bring it into we're gonna bring it in when we're on like episode 250. Everyone's going to know us as the business guys who also like anime. It's going to be, it's going to be the thing. What if we bring somebody who's like, talk, like imagine we're like big podcasters and we, we bring him and we just hype it up as, Hey guys, we're bringing a billionaire in the pot. And for an hour straight, we just talk about Naruto. <laughs> like, that's all we do. Just for an, an hour. Just a complete <laughs> fucking disappointment. Well, we need an anime. This is where me, you, and him are going to collab one day. We need to collab on an anime, but it's a shonen for business. It's just a business guy who's an up-and-coming entrepreneur in like some fake world. I'm telling you, it'll hit off. Wait. All right. I had one question that's completely unrelated to what we just spoke about, but how do you deal with complainer clients? clients and and students who are just like everything's against them they're always it's like it's up and down they're very up and down like everything's good and then everything's bad and they're nervous and the numbers are down and then the numbers are up have you ever had these uh, called like volatile clients how do you deal with personalities like that it's typically people who are like newer to the space how do you deal with people like that if you deal with them at all or how do you tell your team to deal with that yeah this is mostly ryan but i'll tell you what i do i find that there's a problem you solve before it is a problem this good book i read what i read like first three chapters but you know these business books nowadays you learn one story and it's all like seven stories put together you learn one you kind of get the point of the book it's called upstream and upstream talks about solving problems upstream before they go downstream because it's easier to not pollute a river than to clean a polluted river so 
what I like to do is in the onboarding call, I go over a bunch of expectations. One of them is we don't do emergency. If you have an emergency, you have the tools and we don't work on weekends. So just for your information, one time, bro, one time, some a client asked me, I asked them every time, by the way, good idea to do this is ask them what's a quick win we can help you get uh, for the next few days. And they actually like that question. You can help them out. It helps a relationship. And um, they keep paying, so that's good. And one time they gave me one, which is, yeah, my quick win would be, do you have anyone in your network you can introduce me to that might need my service? And I just see rev through the entire screen. And I say, no, that's a lazy question. Ask me something else. I just said, and it's recorded, right? And I like to upstream solve the problems and be kind of very direct and very blunt. But what happens when it pops out during the service, right? Uh, solve the problem before, but if it happens during, I believe more in rewarding good behavior than punishing bad behavior. So if anything good happens, I'll ask them, how are you feeling? What came to that result? What did you learn from this experience? And I kind of make them put that in their back pocket. So when these events come, I can show them, hey, remember that one time you thought the world was ending and it didn't? This is kind of the same thing. You just have to stick to the thing. And when they see themselves do it, it helps a lot. And if it keeps going, we keep it. <laughs> I like that part. That's the win right there. That's the takeaway. Okay. Um, I want to go over one more thing. Can you go? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Cool. One more thing that I wanted to talk about is pushing versus pulling marketing. And this is one of those things that once I saw, I couldn't unsee. One of the most transformational things I've seen in marketing. So give you two examples. Fitness coach. One fitness coach post my clients are getting the best result this person went from this many pounds to this many pounds if you want a similar result sign up which is okay but it's kind of like pushing and people kind of know what, what you're doing and i changed and really made a lot more money the day i switched to pull marketing so an example of that is these are my clients they're getting great results without having to do a lot of the things that the fitness industry has imposed. And I'm very grateful to be in a position where I can serve them this way. If you like a similar result, I'm taking more clients and you're welcome to join for this. You're promoting the same thing, but one approach is pushing. The other one is pulling. And I find that when you push people towards a solution, you make them hear you less every time you do it. They grow a little bit more deaf. But when you pull people into a solution, you can promote way more because it doesn't tire the audience out because you are sharing something that's nice. You're showing them something valuable. Is there, It's their option if they want to join or not. When I chase that, and the main distinction here is I believe that weak brands tell and strong brands show. Weak brands tell you, these are the reasons why you should hire me. Strong brands say something like, these are the results we got for a client. If you want to join, you are welcome too. It is a different kind of marketing. It's a shade different, but the results and the difference is enormous. So once you switch to full marketing, it's a good idea. I think um, a good way to look at the good way that I look at this and I look because I, I think of content and ads are like, you, they're very much one and the same. And what you had said with like, here are the results or here's like a case study, here are the results, like join if you want. It's very much like the entire piece of content is the ad. But the way I've I've started to look at it is you think of it like a TV show and a commercial. And it's like, 
if you're giving a really good TV show, which is you're giving really good content up front, like if you're a fitness coach and you give really great, I'm think think like knees over toes guy. I've been following him because I have a knee problem, right? He does amazing content on like rehabbing your knee and workouts, right? And it's just amazing. You're going to go for the content. And then he also, it's like, by the way, I have this like program, but you're going to go back no matter what, because the content's so good. You're going to follow him. You're going to consume it. And then he's just kind of reminding you that he has the offer. So if you make the content good enough, you're very much like a bingeable TV show. Then you just kind of bring in the reminders. You're using your own ad space. You're using your own commercials. You're just, by the way, I have this, by the way, I have this, by the way, it has this. They're not going to be tired by your advertisement because they're not coming for the advertisement. They're coming for the content itself. So I very much look at it as like a TV show and, and an ad or a commercial is like you can run all the commercials you want if your TV show is actually great and bingeable and people come for the content and not the ad. The ad is just the reminder. It's like, by the way, here you go. If you want more, here you go, by the way. So that's how I've looked at it. You know who's the master of this? Did you ever watch Dr. Oz? I know Dr. Oz, yes. I, <laughs> that guy's funny. That guy gets marketing. Dude, it's like, okay, so I, I learned this on the MyFriend Miller podcast, but an example of Dr. Oz is, for example, he used, other doctors would tell you, it's a berry that's like a fat burner. I don't know if that's a thing, but berry, fat burning. Other doctors said, or other salespeople said, this berry burns fat, get it. You can buy it here. It's going to burn your fat. Dr. Oz, he inflates a bunch of balloons, right? And then he grabs a, like a toothpick, right? And he says, okay, guys, these balloons are your fat cells. This is what this berry does. And it starts, starts knocking them out. And by the way, you can get this berry here if you'd like. Bravo. Mute. That is that is how you do it. Yeah. It's, well, you got to think too, if you position it, if you make the content so good that people are actually, it would be a disservice if you don't advertise because people are going to be like, where can I get more? Like they're going to be thinking that to themselves. Like if you think about your content in a way where it's like, it's so good, like people want to know what you have, right? You don't, you shouldn't have to force it. Like you should be, it should be good enough and your solution should be good enough and the outcome of your solution should be good enough to where they're like, they want to know, they want to learn more, they want to read your sales page, they want to see your VSL, they want to be on a phone call with you. It shouldn't be like forced. So that's something I thought about. Yeah, like Elon with the Cybertruck, he is going to empty a magazine clip on it and then he's like, if you yeah. want it, use the link. Yeah, well, that, I also think about this way, like this is a great way to think about virality. Like you, not every tweet or not every piece of content needs to just be about the specific the specific offer like you can make content so good that they're going to wonder who you are it doesn't even have to be just here's my solution in content form it could just be content if your content is good enough they're gonna be like who is this guy who's this guy that's just blew up like who's this guy that's viral as fuck like with mr beast think about it is any of his content about chocolate other than that one chocolate factory video no but you're like who the fuck is this guy getting a hundred million views a video oh he has chocolate might as well try it See, there's ways you can still work on virality where it's just, you don't have to make every post about your niche and every post about your solution. That's another way to think about virality, which we can totally go deeper on in the next episode. So subscribe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Correct. That is, that is exact. Okay, that was the plot. Thank you, fellas. Peace.